I don't like the word. I don't like the way the word unanimous is spelled because it has a U and an N, and every other word. Can you think of another word that doesn't that starts with the letter U and N that doesn't sound like un, like unappreciated or undertaker? <laughs> this is the only word that that doesn't. It's not unanimous. It's unanimous. Attention all personnel! Tonight's dinner is a river of liver and an ocean of fish with a side order of The Mash Files. Lovingly prepared by chefs Seabus Brian and Seabus John. For more recipes, go to www.themashfiles.com. Have any questions? Send them to mashfiles4077 at gmail.com. That is all! Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mash Files, episode three, part two. I'm your host, Seabus Brian, with... Seabus John. And we're currently going through season three of the hit television series, Mash. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. We are... Insert applause here. Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) We are currently on episode nine Alcoholics Unanimous. Uh, uh, Unanimous. This episode was aired on November 12th, 1974, going into the holiday season, directed by Hay Averbeck. Hi. His name is Hi. Hi Averbeck. When Henry goes to a conference in Tokyo, Mr. Frank Burns outlaws alcohol and dismantles the still. I'm in command until Colonel Blake's absence is replaced with his presence. That still is coming down. Yes, yes. This this is a funny episode. I like this yes. episode. I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of notes for this episode. Uh, I found it funny that Frank does not attend Sunday services unless he's not there. How he, ironic! He, he tells he tells Father McKay he do a do a sermon. He he tells everybody that they need to go. If I remember correctly. He makes it mandatory. He makes everybody go because he wants to have Father Marquet do a sermon on the, the yeah. evils of drink. <laughs> evils of drink. But yes. in the like the beginning of the episode, there's there's a, a Sunday service and there's nobody there yeah. except for Klinger. Yep. And Radar? Nope. No, just Klinger. Nope, just Klinger. Yeah. Which I find ironic, but then again, there were many times where we could see Frank reading the Bible in yeah. the swamp. But not. So maybe that's where he services. figures he doesn't have to go. <laughs> so. Uh, this is, well, does, does Marjorie give, Mar- Margaret, <laughs> does Margaret give Frank, She was one of the showgirls, right? <laughs> yes. Does Margaret give Frank another gift? No, she hands over her flask. Margaret. It's an heirloom given to mother by father on their bridal night. To my buttercup from Alvin. The best things are worth waiting for. Bottoms up. <laughs> oh, it's very nice to carry fruit juice, lemonade, whatever. Frank. Don't take away my little nippy bottle. Yep. So Margaret's, Margaret's mother and father, her mother and father's wedding gifts so far that they gave each other a riding crop, a gun, and a flask. So romantic. Did they live in a trailer? <laughs> Come on in, take off your skin, and rattle around right in, in your, your bones. bones. Yes. So the Frank outlaws alcohol, and of course, everybody gets drunk anyway, including... Margaret, Trapper, and Hawkeye in the same tent. And <laughs> Frank walks in on him. Frank, baby! Come on in. Take off your skin and rattle around in your bones. 
Come on in. I have a good episode, but filler-ish. Mm, yeah. Um, I have quite a few notes here, actually. There was a debate at the beginning of the Korean War about whether to provide daily beer rations for troops. Well, yeah. Temperance groups, of course, were against it, but the Schlitz and Blatz breweries offered to provide 1.2 million free cans and bottles of beer to the war zone troops. A member of Congress from Milwaukee argued that a beer had no more alcoholic content than a good pudding and could be lifesaver in areas where there is no potable water. Mm, true. That's why they, the pirates, or pirates, not probably not just pirates, but people who were on long uh, voyages at sea, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have jugs of water. They would have yep. jugs of beer or yep. rum. Yep. Uh, General MacArthur apparently favored the idea of a daily beer ration, and eventually Congress approved the beer ration, provided that the beer contained no more than 3.2% alcohol. Near beer! Yep. The first shipment of free beer arrived on Christmas Day, 1950. um, Empty beer cans ultimately served another purpose, however. It was rediscovered that hand grenades fit perfectly inside empty beer cans, so the cans were used to safely transport 25,000 unused hand grenades at the end of the war. Nice. I know. Wow. (laughs) This beer packs a punch. I know, right? (laughs) Um, You mentioned no Henry in this episode. Did I? Yep. I don't know Um, if I did it on mic. (laughs) There's no Henry in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) He's in Tokyo. Um, And there is a scene in the the series where they're, or in the episode where they're showing a movie. um, And this movie at the start is called Tin Pan Alley from 1940. And the scene shows Alice Faye singing America I Love You with John Payne accompanying her on piano. Piano tickling those eyebrows. That's right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Ah, yes. this is. I think we might have mentioned this in a previous um, episode of our podcast. There's a scene where Margaret is showing Frank her flask, mm-hmm. right? And Loretta Swit's fingernails can be seen to be over an inch long. No that nurse, would be a no-no. especially a head nurse, would ever have had fingernails that long. Or, yeah, or yeah. a doctor or anything. I would have loved to see what she was trying to do putting gloves on. Right? Yeah, you know, surgical gloves. <laughs> Uh, let's see, what else? In, previously, in Officers Only, Frank brags to Hawkeye and Trapper that he pulled some strings with General Hammond and got the Officers Club put in while they were away in Tokyo. He's even seen inside Margaret drinking Shirley Temple's. Yet, as soon as Frank is left in charge while Henry is away for a week, he boards up the Officers Club, takes the still out of the swamp, and essentially bans all alcoholic beverages in the camp due to his extreme dislike of drinking. Yeah, so yeah, in one scene, he's yeah he's arranged for an Officers Club, and then then decides to close it up. True. Officer's Club, though, you know, it's Frank. He's an officer. He looks down on enlisted men. He looks down on everybody. Who were not allowed in said Officer's Club. So mm-hmm. it was probably more of a overpowering, you know, I'm the king, you're the subject, you're not allowed in here, haha, I am, type of deal for the Officer's Club. Mm-hmm. An exclusive place to be. Much like his his country club, I'm sure. Is a very exclusive place to be, right? But then again, um, you know, if you think about it, his the impetus behind Frank's desire to open the officers' club was not about alcohol; it was actually about exclusivity. Yes. So I just said that. Yeah, you did, and so therefore, closing the club, it would have carried no weight with him. True, mm-hmm. so. especially since all the officers or all the uh, enlisted, enlisted men yep. are allowed in. Yep. So his <laughs> dream of exclusivity or inclusivity, yeah. depending on how you look at it, it's already been shattered. Yes. So, <laughs> yep. I believe he also wants to shut it down. He he mentions that the, there's a high percentage rate of 
soldiers or enlisted men with alcoholic problems. Yeah, drinking the, problems. Yeah, early in the episode, he's um, reading an article, something, and then I guess the military put out a thing, and there was like a, a quiz. Well, they've enclosed a test. First question: Do you think and talk about drinking often? No, of course not. Hell no. Let's see what you mean about the gin. Do you sometimes gulp drinks? Ah, never. Do you sometimes forget what happened while you were drinking? What? Question number three. Do you sometimes forget what happened while you were drinking? What happened to question number two? He forgot it. He forgets while we drink. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anything else for episode nine? Nope. Ununanimous? Yes. <laughs> Alcoholics ununanimous. Let me tell you something. However compulsory it may be, there's no film. I am live. <laughs> On to episode 10, November 19th, 1974, directed by High Everback again. There is nothing like a nurse. The nurses are evacuated due to a possible enemy attack. The camp learns how valuable the nurses really are. The episode's title is a play on the song There Is Nothing Like a Dame from the Broadway play South Pacific, South Pacific which premiered in 1949 and ran for 1,925 performances. That always amazes me how much those Broadway actor and actresses work. I mean a show a night and then they usually do at least two on Sundays, a matinee. And just to do that many performances, that just must, that's just so enduring to me that they can do that. (laughs) Okay. Amazing. First credited appearance by Leland Sun as Mr. Quang. He would make a total of six appearances. Second appearance by Loudon Wainwright III as Captain Spaulding. Ah, yes. He's got to sing his song. Yes. Shut up. Uh, oh, nurses are gone. Is that how it goes? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. The car. Frank and his wife are driving away in their wedding video is a 1939 Ford Deluxe convertible coupe. Meep, meep. Meep, meep. <laughs> I did like the juxtaposition of of the video and then the real life of Margaret not letting him drive the yes, car. Yes, the Jeep as soon Just as like return. in yes. the video. Mm-hmm. Or in video? Yeah, film. We call yep. it a film. Radar makes a reference to his 37-year-old sister, who is never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just like his brother in the last episode? No. Something like that. The episode before, he mentioned he had a brother? Yep. Who was 4F? Yep. Some have believed that there were two characters in the episode named Mr. Quang. However, with the aid of closed captioning, this has been proven false. In the opening scene in the OR, Trapper says, Give me some 3-0 chromic, Mr. Quang, to the young Asian man assisting him in Hawkeye. However, later in the Officers Club, the bartender is referred to as Mr. Kwok. Oh, Mr. yes. Mr. Quang is credited as actor Leland's son. However, Mr. Kwok was the bartender. He's not even credited. Oh, well, that's just mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he probably doesn't speak. Uh, so is this one of the first appearances of Quang? I think so. Because he actually, I know he's played by different actors. Yeah, and he actually I'm, has a scene, I think in this season, where he comes up 
and he's actually a person that they actually talk to who actually has lines. Yeah. Well, when they when they first brought in the Officers Club, I believe it was Clyde Kasatsu, uh, the actor who played the character, the bartender, because I remember mm-hmm. he said, "What? Who are you again? Quang Duck or something like that?" It's, I remember Frank was saying, "Like that's a that's a cute name." And it's like, "Well, we're a cute people. <laughs> we're a cute people." So, uh, Marge, Marjorie, Margaret. <laughs> You've got me doing this now. Ah, it's not my fault. You did this yourself, sir. <laughs> that's because that's how I write her name instead of writing the whole thing out. Like McCall, uh, Mulcahy. I don't write out Mulcahy. I just write no, it's Father not Macaulay M. Culkin either. Yeah, that either. <laughs> Margaret comes into Henry's office to uh, report a nurse for being insubordinate. Uh, but Margaret herself becomes insubordinate to her commanding officer, while she's talking to her, talking to him about complaining about an insubordinate nurse, uh, I think that this might actually might be the one that we met, that I was mentioning in the previous ep- episode uh, about he wants she wants her to sit on her cot in her yeah. in her don't move yeah yeah I think that's yeah, her for a month yep. yeah you mentioned in the previous uh, clip um, from part one a second appearance by Jean Shalara as Frank's Frank's bride Louise Burns. And this one here, apparently, and I know we've mentioned this in previous episodes of our podcast, the ultimate martini recipe. A very dry, arid, barren, desiccated, veritable dust bowl <laughs> of martini. A martini that can be declared a disaster area. Dry, drier, driest, unwet. The ultimate, the perfect martini. A drink that's to dying of thirst. That is a great line. <laughs> that is a great line. I still like his first recipe, though. Where he's talking about yeah radishes and no he, he's, he's oh yeah where it's like six the, jiggers of gin while yeah, staring at a picture of the Lorenzo guy Schwartz who yes. invented vermouth <laughs> that's the perfect dry I, yep. I still like that one better uh, I have this is the first time Loudon Wainwright the third's character is named Captain Spaulding Wainwright the third is a singer songwriter who has released twenty six studio albums wow. four live albums. And he collaborated with Joe Henry to create the soundtrack for Judd Apatow's film Knocked Up. Okay. So he is prolific. (laughs) All right. Even though it's done for comic relief, Major Houlihan's disrespect towards Colonel Blake and her circumvention of chain of command would certainly put her in a position to face a general court-martial, or at the very least, officially reprimanded. Yeah. Uh, I also put, this is the first time we see a split screen used. Yep, that's what I've got here, too. During Frank and Margaret's dirty phone call. Yes. Gotta go now, darling. I love you. I love you. (laughs) Hang up, Frank. You hang up first. Oh, Frank, that's so high school. (laughs) Well, let's count to three, and then we'll hang up together. (laughs) Okay, you start. One. Two. Three. Three. Damn, Frank! <laughs> and just for the purposes of a laugh, the final appearance by 5 o'clock Charlie. Yes. <laughs> and I also had, where and why are Margaret and Frank driving to when the nurses come back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where are you two going? I don't really, you know what, I don't honestly are don't know. Are you going to I the really... minefield to be alone with each other? <laughs> why they have to drive? I was right behind the building. <laughs> All right, moving on to episode number 11, one of my personal favorites. This is a good one. Yes, episode 11, Adam's Rib. Adam's Ribs. All right, Flowmaster, give me your... Is it ribs or is it rib? Well, it's Adam's Rib, yes. Oh, okay. What's the the name of the episode? The title of the episode is Adam's Rib. Oh, okay. I have ribs. 
Uh, this episode deba- debuted on November 26th. What? Not debutted? <laughs> debutted? <laughs> on November 26th, 1974, which is most likely or really close to the day after Thanksgiving, depending on when these aired. I think these were Saturday shows, though. I don't know. I think. But uh, directed by Gene Reynolds, so we know it's going to be a good one. Igor, or Igor, is serving liver and fish. Jeff Maxwell, if you're out there listening, it's <laughs> I have nothing to do with him pronouncing your character's name wrong. Well, he didn't invent the character. <laughs> Igor is serving liver and fish for the 11th day in a row, and everyone is fed up with it. Hawk leads a riot against the inhumane treatment and then decides to order ribs from his favorite Chicago restaurant, Adam's Ribs. Or rib. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Which first, makes me wonder, he it's his favorite place in Chicago, yet he can't remember the name of it. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like he had to call. Okay? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I know my favorite steakhouse is Bynum's Steakhouse, hmm. <laughs> just south of Indianapolis. I'm not going to forget my favorite steakhouse. I find it funny. That hopefully hopefully they're better than the one that we went to in California. Uh, they are a million percent better. <laughs> I, so, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, first time I ever heard the word Drek. We're not going to eat this Drek anymore. <laughs> we want something else. We want something else. We want something else. Yeah, apparently Drek simply means it's worthless, distasteful, or nonsensical material. Rubbish, trash, you know. So. I have veteran, veteran character actor Basil Hoffman yep. stars as Major, Major Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer, yep. Pfeiffer. Which I find interesting because apparently Pfeiffer. his sergeant is his commanding officer, a sergeant commanding a major. Mm-hmm. The other thing I find interesting is that a major would actually be handling the sorting of packages. To me, that sounds like something an enlisted man would be doing. Maybe. Uh, this uh, uh, Basil Hoffman will be uh, will show up later. Cave as he plays Major Bart, Major Bartruff, 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 Bartruff in season seven, episode twenty one. Cave, Cave. He also played Dwayne Sedgwick in the final season one episode of Night Court. <laughs> the PA mentions Nurse Chetzberger. Needs to contact the Red Cross rep. I could find no info anywhere about Chetzberger or Nurse Chetzberger or a writer on MASH or, or a, uh, maybe it was a PA or something or, or somebody's something. But it's just like a very strange PA announcement that I couldn't find any information on. I have no idea why they said it. Yeah. It's just kind of there. Nurse Schutzberger, please contact the Red Cross representative. Um, let's see what I have here. First and only appearance by Joseph Stern as Major Sar- or excuse me, Master Sergeant Tarola. He was the guy who ultimately um, got them to admit that the package contained ribs. And, of course, knew what they were and who they were from oh, and all absolutely. that other stuff. I'll take 20 and a quart of sauce. <laughs> 10 and a pint of sauce. 12 and a pint and a half. And coleslaw. We didn't order any coleslaw. You sent all the way to Chicago and no coleslaw? Forgive us, we're draftees. Uh, let's see what else. Okay, what is this name, Mildred? Hmm? It's, here we have another Mildred. Oh, of course. So Henry's first wife apparently named Mildred. 
Colonel Potter's wife named Mildred. <laughs> Apparently, someone that Trapper hooked up with at a previous time is named Mildred because um, it seems to be the running name on Mesh. So it's like, yeah, um, yeah, she was I the one who would make arrangements to go pick up the yeah. the ribs and sauce and take it to Midway Airport. I think I, I'm trying to remember where. Mildred Feeney. I got this information. Uh, it, sometimes sometimes my brain just makes up things to connect dots, but I think I actually read this somewhere that it was one of like the show creator's or producer's wife or sister's name or something, or one of the writers. It was a name that was something special to them. It could be. And that's why they, they used it a lot. But it is definitely, it yeah, is definitely yeah, used a lot. Of, a lot of Mildreds back then. A lot of like Mildreds. Was... Millies. Yes. <laughs> Hawk mentions Chicago, that toddling town. Toddling town. Toddling town. This is the title of a 1922 song written by Fred Fisher, and it was recorded by Frank Sinatra and Judy Garland. Oh, okay. Hawkeye also mentions Mrs. O'Leary's Cow. Reporter Michael Ahern published a claim that Miss, Mrs. Catherine O'Leary's cow knocked over a lantern and started the Great Chicago Fire in October 1871 that burned for three days and destroyed 17,000 structures in Chicago. Michael Aaron, I'm not going to say his name wrong, but Michael Ahern in 1883 admitted that he made the story up about the cow. Uh, let's see. In this episode, no Frank or Hot Lips. I guess they hadn't come back from after they drove off. When they yeah, they drove back, off you know, in the last episode. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see. When Hawkeye is on the phone talking to the Dearborn Street Station, he gives his name as Cranston Lamont. Yes. Lamont Cranston apparently is the real name of a fictional character, The Shadow, the Shadow. from the old radio series and numerous movies. Yes. I have actually listened to some of those radio programs. Mm-hmm. Quite an interesting so, H, not H.D. Wells. What's the the guy who did the um, uh, the pff, crap? The end of the world, or no? The War of the Worlds. <laughs> War of the Worlds. Oh, Lanks, yeah. Uh, who was that? The, uh, the actor. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Gene Barry. No. You're talking about the lead actor in the movie? No, in the the radio show that went oh. on in like the 40s or something and actually caused panic of the world of wars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that can, guy. Yeah, him. Okay. <laughs> He played so, he played the shadow. Okay. At one point. So let's see here. There was some uh sec. I found this in some research. It said for decades that Mash fans have searched in vain for the real Adams Ribs restaurant in Chicago that's so prominent in this episode, or at least the inspiration for the restaurant. In a two thousand nine interview, Larry Gelbart revealed that Adams Ribs was strictly imaginary. There was no such restaurant and no establishment served as its inspiration. However, in two thousand eight, Size Crab House on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago, wanted a catchy new name for its reopening. The new name chosen was Adam's Rib and Ale House. But instead of mash decor, the restaurant was adorned with memorabilia from the Tracy Hepburn film Adam's Rib. Yelp reported in 2021 that the establishment had closed, although restaurants with similar names can be found in the Chicago area. And then, was it, Pacquiao's? Tony Paco's. Yeah, Paco's. That's actually in Toledo. Yes. And we're thinking about going there. Uh, well, as far as I, well, yeah, we're, we're thinking about going, so we'll um, may give you some more details as soon as we get them. Yes. And the guy's name is Orson Welles. Okay. <laughs> All right. He did the shadow. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see here. I have down 
in my research, while the number for the Dearborn Street Station is given as Dearborn 57500 or 335 the actual number is Klondike 48100 or 554-8100. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put down that this is the one time radar didn't hear the choppers coming in. Well, when you've got that 40 pounds of ribs sitting, this is well, true. 30 pounds of ribs <laughs> yeah. and a quarter sauce or whatever sitting in front of you, it's like, you, yeah, you're... It's not liver and fish. I can't hear anything else. That's right. <laughs> Let's see. The actor who plays the sergeant where the ribs are being held is shown as Joseph Stern, Master Sergeant Tarola. But the actor is wearing Staff Sergeant stripes, oh. consisting of three chevrons up and one rocker. A Master Sergeant would have had three chevrons up and three rockers down. Rockers. I like that word, chevron. Yeah. And so <laughs> reason why Stargate. Yeah, the reason why Chevron's uh, gas company's logo is mm-hmm. a, yeah. And let's see, my last note here, when Colonel Blake is explaining to Trapper how he knows the phone number for the Dearborn Street station by memory, he says that he quote spent half his life at the Dearborn station. First place that his mother let him go to the men's room alone, <laughs> implying that he was there often uh, from a young age. However, Henry is from Bloomington, Illinois, which is approximately 135 miles from Chicago, a distance that makes being, you know, him being in Chicago often enough to have spent half his life there seems unlikely. Mm, true. Uh, in this episode, it takes three signatures on Klinger's psych papers, but in season two, episode For Want of a Boot, Klinger needs four signatures. Mm-hmm. So Guess something he's, changed. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. <laughs> to, to the discharge... That he already got. Right. And turned down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's all I have for this episode. That's all I have. Again, fun episode, some oh, memorable quotes, you know, having eaten a river of liver and an ocean of fish. Yes. <laughs> I can't, you know, if I've eaten so much fish, I've grown gills and I can't make love unless, you know, I've had so much liver that I can't make love unless I'm smothered in bacon and onions. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Uh, now, are you a fan of liver? I'll be honest with you, the idea of trying it doesn't appeal to me, but I've never had it. Never so I had don't it. I don't know what it tastes like. I've heard that if it's properly cooked, you know, if it's done right, apparently it's good, but it just I just True, I but you could probably do anything to anything and make it taste good, I guess. But yeah, for ketchup. I'm not Yeah. <laughs> Wait a yeah. minute. Wait a minute. Let's get some Franks cuz you know what you do with Franks. Yes. It's like I yeah. I used to... Let's uh, see. Bar- let's say there's some barbecue sauce in there, a little rooster sauce, Worcestershire, rooster sauce, whatever. Worcestershire. Yeah, that. Yeah, I used to think I liked popcorn shrimp and then realized how much ketchup I was putting on them. It's like, yep. you know what? I don't think I like these. It's funny how they sculpt ketchup into look like, you know, you know shrimp. <laughs> yeah. So, you ever had coconut shrimp? Mm, maybe. It's not bad. I've, I've had different kinds of shrimp, and I, I have found that I really just don't like it. It's more of a consistency thing than it is in taste. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, don't like liver. Don't like onions. Definitely wouldn't want them together. I can deal uh, with onions if they're already cooked. Yeah. But, like, for, like, like you cut up an onion, put it, like, in a salad or something like that. No. Yeah. Maybe maybe raw, but yeah, no, no. not cooked. Cooked, cooked I'm okay with, but, yeah. No. Uh, episode 12, A Full Rich Day. December 3rd, 1974, Hawk records a letter to his father uh, about a mad Turkish soldier, the loss of of a lieutenant's corpse, and a lieutenant's strong arm (laughs) tactics to obtain medical care for a uh, comrade. Uh, I have this down as Dear Dad number four, question mark. 
you know, four? You know, question mark? Because he's not writing the letter. He's actually Recording using a it. tape recorder, mm-hmm. which I, it, it's no law. It, they don't use it again. Well, apparently it begs the, the assumption the that dad must have a, a tape player at home. Yeah, but it makes me wonder. I, when I saw that, I was like, that reminds me of the one that uh, Winchester has. Winchester okay. has a tape recorder and used it often, I think. Yeah, his was a little bit bigger, though. His was, was like, it? Yeah, like a console. Practically. Okay. <laughs> well, it was a laydown, and yeah, Hawkeye seemed to be a stand-up one. Uh, no Margaret in this episode. Uh, I I think I like I like this episode. It was another. I thought it was another Dear Dad episode. Yeah. Uh, you had the the mad Turkish soldier was which gave us the scene in the kitchen. Where Chinese! He's, where he's got the, the, the... Meat cleaver? Meat cleaver. And just, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever word he says. <laughs> and, of course, Radar has to strip again. Yes. <laughs> or Gary Berghoff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Poor guy. For a guy that was always afraid to have... You know, that my mom always used to say that, you know, the skin was like the... Was it? Skin is... <laughs> The Devil's Workshop or something. I forget what the, what the line was. But. And they, they lose a corpse. Trying to remember if that's... Is it the British? The Turkish. Greek? Or not, it was the... Um, Greek? It was the Luxembourg. The Luxembourg, Luxembourg, yeah. Luxembourg Lieutenant. So it's that one. Okay, it was that one guy. And uh, the, the guy playing the soldier that brings in the wounded comrade and says, you're going to... Yeah, William Watson, Lieutenant yeah, Smitty Smith. You are going to deal with it yeah. now, yeah. you know. Yep. I'd appreciate some help right now. I asked your outfit. My sergeant, Sergeant Bryan, is in the back of the Jeep. He's badly hurt. I want you to take care of him immediately. Now. Sir, that's one of those new guns can shoot 30 corporals a second. <laughs> I make the medical decisions around here, Lieutenant. Decide. Are you threatening me with that thing? Yes, sir. Great actor. Great eyes. Just, you know, rrr, yeah, menacing. Blue, yeah, Yeah, just menacing. He's kind of like King Curtis in, uh, you know, in uh, um, Iron Guts Kelly, because he's, he's telling him, you know, you're going to, you know, where was it? He, when he was giving that little speech about, you know, he's going to go all out in a fire blaze. blaze where, but those those eyes of his, they just sort of, it's like they're kind of intimidating. It's like, yeah. You know, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Yep. You first and only appearances by William Watson as Lieutenant Smitty Smith, Kurt Lowens as Colonel Blanche, and Blanche. Michael Keller as Lieutenant Henri Baptiste Leclerc. Henri! Yes. <laughs> Latrine! Yep. First of two appearances by Siri Murad as the Turkish soldier. He will return in season eight also as a Turkish soldier. In some of my research, there was mention about the laugh track in this episode. It said throughout the entire 11 year run of the series, a laugh track was almost never used in any of the operating room scenes. The two and only exceptions appear in this episode when Colonel Blake is stabbed by the anesthetic needle. Mm hmm. Say that five times fast. And follows and falls asleep counting backwards. And also the first episode of season three. But it's it's yeah. used more than that though, because uh, what was the episode where Klinger's dress gets cut by the Chinese soldier? Yeah, yeah. There's a laugh track. There Is there a too. laugh track? Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I'll have to amend that. It's it's in there. Yep. Occasionally. Um, Colonel Blake tells Colonel Blanche that you're the first Luxembourger. Well, this is a privilege. I've met many of our allies over here, sir. 
but you're the first uh, um, Luxemburger. <laughs> to have it's met. actually real. Yeah. Although this is done for comic effect, it is actually the correct Luxembourg. way to pronounce it. I am a Luxemburger. Yep. Um, a continuity goof. During the final scene, when the Turk returns the Jeep back with an unconscious radar, mm-hmm. you know, he just can't handle his prune juice. Right. Um, radar's <laughs> wool cap falls back off his head just as the Jeep comes to a stop, and in the back, or, but it is back in place when the camera angle shifts. Yeah, I know. Let's see. Let's see. When Lieutenant Smith is in pre-op with Colonel Blake, he has mud splashed on his entire face. In the very next scene, when he is outside with Hawkeye, you know, only the left side of his face has mud on it. Well, he rubbed the other one half off. I guess. <laughs> uh, what else here? Henry grabs the syringe from the Turk and, in turn, turns his hand over with the syringe stuck in it, and the plunger falls on its own. 99, 98, <laughs> Good night, sweet prince. Yeah. I've, Which I, that, you know, I, I've noticed that many really times. Happen. It's like, yeah, how, does, how does that work? Yeah. It's, mm, but I, I thought... When I was looking at it, I was like, would that needle just go right through his hand? It looked like a really long needle. Yeah, it's like, although, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of bone right there. stop it, though. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Mm. Let's see. The Turkish soldier reportedly has a sever- severely injured shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yet when Henry has his back to the Turk, who is rising off of his gurney, Henry returns to, to him, you know, kind of grabs both shoulders, sort of, and tries Pushes to push him, him down. back down on the gurney. It's like, um... If his shoulder is messed up, you ain't going to touch his shoulder. True. But this Turk is really I know. emphatic about I know. <laughs> leaving. <laughs> I think he just wants to get back to his outfit so he can kill more Chinese. Chinese! Um, when Hawkeye is making the recording to his father, he says that the day started out with a batch of wounded coming into camp. He states that they brought the wounded off the bus and began triage on them. He then explains the triage is the act of prioritizing the wounded to get those with the most serious wounds into surgery first. Mm-hmm. But on several occasions, Hawkeye has mentioned that his father, you know, is a doctor. Was a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that his doctor would have already been fully aware of what triage was. I, uh, I think you do residency when you're starting to become a doctor. Right. In ERs. And you would definitely have triage in ERs. Um I thought this was an okay episode. Mm-hmm. Not as good as previous Dear Dad episodes, I think. And I found it weird that in the end credits, Kelly Nakahara, who is normally referred to as Nurse Kelly, mm-hmm. is credited as playing Nurse Abel. I was okay. like, why? Why has she got a different name? <laughs> I don't know. I guess they hadn't figured that maybe she was going to continue to make as many appearances in you know later seasons and episodes or something. I don't know. I don't know. Question. It's, it's uh, this previous character of Nurse Kelly is all of a sudden Nurse Abel. Mm-hmm. Episode thirteen: Mad Dogs Oof. and Servicemen, Oof. December tenth, nineteen seventy-four. Frank objects as Hawk and Trap treat a young. Shell shock GI with hysterical pluralysis whilst Henry searches for a possible rabid dog that has bitten radar. Directed yet again by High Averback. Written by Linda Bloodsworth and Mary Kay Place, so we Yay. know it's going to be a good episode. Mm-hmm. Michael Keefe plays Corporal Richard Travis, the soldier with plural- plural- paralysis. Much like my mouth, paralysis. Paralysis? Yeah, yeah. 
also plays a troubled soldier named Tom in War of Nerves. Season 6. Season 6, Episode 5. Michael also played Danny Nooner in Caddyshack and Fred on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> played uh, one of uh, Roseanne's sisters. I can't think of the character name. Roseanne's sister's uh, boyfriends for a while. Yeah. Jackie. Yeah, Jackie. That's Jackie. Right. Yep, and he also played in an episode or two of The West Wing. He Ooh. was a he was one of the press people. First of four appearances by forgive me if I butcher this name <laughs> Shizuko Hoshi as Rosie. Sounds good to me. Uh, she would return for three additional episodes in seasons four, seven, and eight, playing different characters each time. Um, this would be the first appearance of Rosie's bar up close. Did you notice that she was married to Mako? I did not know that. She was married to Mako. Very cool. Who also made several appearances okay. in the MASH. Well, I think we last saw him in Rainbow Bridge. Yep. Uh, let's see. In this episode, Radar states he's 18. However, Gary Berghoff's actual age at the time of airing was 31. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice to be able to play that young. Yep. <laughs> Despite Hawkeye's insistence, veilness is not a word. I swear it's a word. I swear it on Frank's life. Veilness? Veilness. A quality of veil. The act of veiling. To be full of veiling. Uh, but it's so, so good for Scrabble. Yeah, I know. So, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is something I noticed, and it may just be, but I suppose if you, if you were to sound it out differently than how we know it's really sounded, you know, the sign above Rosie's Bar reads R-O-S-E-B-A-R. Rose? Rose Bar. But Rosie... R-O-S-E, Rosie. Hmm. Rosie His Bar. name is Rose, Rose's Bar, Rosie. Hmm. Rosie's Bar, maybe, yep. maybe. Quick trivia, what was the bar next to Rosie's called? I didn't know there was a bar next to Rosie's. <laughs> There's another establishment right next door. Uh, the Waldorf? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, it was called Goldie's. Goldie's. Mm-hmm. Rosie's and Goldie's. Yep. I did not know that at all. Yep. Okay. Uh, the title for this episode may have come from a 1931 Noel Coward song. Or coward, I hope coward. Coward, coward. That's right. Okay, yeah. Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Oh, okay. Um, ah, yes. Something I never noticed until I did my research. Um, having seen the episode how many times? When mm-hmm. Colonel Blake is carrying Radar's turtle, you'll notice that the turtle has his own dog tags. Oh, cool. Yeah, you look around. The, you look at, Yeah, he's got his own. <laughs> well, dog don't tags. they all? That doesn't all his? Because this is the first appearance. This is the first appearance of, of his animals. Zoo. Of yes, zoo. And I think they all have dog tags, don't they? I think. Mm. I don't think so. They're looking for the dog that bit him. They say yeah, but, dog no, but with y- dog tags. Yeah, the yeah he's got yeah yeah you're mm, right. I think so. It's quite a spread you got here for the little buggers. Oh, they'd do the same for me if they had the wood. They all got their own little dog tags. And one thing I noticed was that in the one the one little box whatever where he's keeping his animals, there's a raccoon that is just going side to side. I mean, he's going nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's like he's trying to get out or something. He's like, why am I in Korea? I know, right? This is not right place for my species. Yeah, well, actually, it's funny you mention that. Um, I've got some notes about that. Mm-hmm. It's called a lead-in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. In a scene where Colonel Blake has freshly vaccinated animals locked in cages, two of the animals are a raccoon and a skunk. Mm-hmm. Skunks are native to North and South America. Raccoons are native to North America. Neither animal would have been found in Korea. Dun, dun, dun. Somebody brought them up. They were their uh, emotional support animals. Sure. Some of the some of the soldiers are like, nah, my skunk is my, my emotional support animal. I guess. 
Um, my research here says that to test an animal for rabies, mm-hmm. the animal actually has to be put down first. Yep. You got to test a part of its brain yep. in two rabies, different locations. Yep. Rabies can only be detected in the animal's brain. Two parts of the animal's brain need to be removed for the test. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that uh, don't tell Radar. That is, yeah. his dog is dead. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Usually, Frank wants to get any malingerers, gold bricks, and shell shock soldiers back to the front lines immediately instead of letting them go to let them get out of the war. This time, he wants Corporal Travis transferred to to- immediately to Tokyo. This is true. And I, I thought it was, I'll, I'll get your opinion on this. <laughs> Frank wants the patient to go to Tokyo. Frank pulls rank, because uh, Hawk and Trap said, you know, we want to observe him. Mm-hmm. So Frank pulls rank to say, you know, I'm a major, you're, you're going to send him. But Hawkeye is chief surgeon. So shouldn't the medical decisions outrank Frank? Wow, that's a good question. Because um, if he's chief surgeon, suppose you would think that he's in charge of all surgeons. Frank's a surgeon. This is a medical thing. It doesn't really have anything to do with the army per se. So yeah, I think he would. I would. If there's anybody in the military listening to this, and if you can chime in on this and give us an answer, um, please do so. Send us an email: mashfiles4077 at gmail my guess to answer your question again, this is a total guess. Mm-hmm. My guess is is that the medical decision would prevail. Yeah, um, the medical rank would right rank because the army rank. What good <laughs> would a soldier be if you try to send him back to the front and he's not ready? Right. I mean, you're. It's like you want to make sure that he's ready to go back because if he's not. Then you 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 may have a potential loss on your hands, yes, a loss of life. And so. so, what's the treatment in this episode? The treatment is to basically, like he says, what is it? Can't walk. He can't walk. So don't. So, so it's like, well, you're not going to, you know. And then a nurse immediately brings him a food tray and says, no, no, yeah, he's going. No. He's going to the to the you know to the mess tent or whatever. We're going to make so him take walk. a tray and you're going to walk or crawl or whatever you gotcha. have to do. Sir, don't you think I want to move? Well, it'll come in handy when you get sent back to the front. Otherwise, you're going to be a pretty big papoose for somebody's backpack. It really tears Hawkeye up. Yeah, he's, he's, he, always, he's like, yeah, it, this do, is what we need to do. Yeah, and then after he does it, and he comes back over to Trapper, and he says, it's never easy. He says, does anybody realize that uh, Hitler and I have the same answering service? Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought the ending was a little quick. Hey guys, I'm okay now. Hey, I'm he, standing. He walks in. Hey, yeah, I'm like, mm, yep. okay. But you know, it's uh, comedy first. I yep. have a lengthy note here, so if you have anything else, yeah, I have a couple more <laughs> notes. Okay, so when Margaret is reading the letter to Radar after he starts the um, the rabies shots, mm-hmm. uh, she refers to Gogi Grant's "The Wayward Wind" as one of the letter letter writer's favorite tunes. Mm-hmm. The song which was a number one hit, was not released until 1956, three years after the end of the Korean War. Yep. yep. Hawkeye refers to Godzilla, which of course did not exist until after the Korean War. And finally, Bo Diddley's Diddy Wah Diddy was not released until 1956, three years after the Korean War ended. Yep, too. yep. Yep. And I thought it was, and here I thought it was adorable of Margaret when um, when she gets to the point in the writer or to, in the letter she says, "How would you how would you describe yourself?" And you know, one, give us the five options: mm-hmm. made in heaven, you know, needs help, yeah, yeah. crying for help, something, <laughs> you know. And he falls asleep, 
And so she decides to answer for him. And of course, she gets that big smile on her face, and you you pretty much know yeah. what she wrote. And I I thought that was that a, was pretty. The heart of Margaret comes out exactly, again. Yes. which again is a total opposite of her referring to some of her nurses being some of you being you know desirable. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, Rosie mentions Janet Lee is marrying Tony Curtis, Curtis, which gave us Jamie Lee Curtis. If you didn't know. Uh, Janet and Tony were married on June 4th, 1951, making the timeline of this episode before that. But she also mentions that it looks like Ike got the nomination all sewn up. That didn't happen until July 1952. The last time the date was mentioned in this season was May 1952. The dates don't line up again. <laughs> oh. For, for the wedding and for Ike, which I think it was a lot harder to find than I thought it would be hmm. to find out when he actually got the nomination. Okay. Everything that I looked up was like, oh, he was made president on this day. Like, no, no. When did he get the nomination? Right. <laughs> um, yep. I like this episode. Thought Michael O'Keefe did an excellent job playing the 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 shell-shocked soldier. Corporal Travis. Um, yeah. I like this episode. Of course, it's a good episode because it's written by two people who really know how to write sitcoms yes <laughs> they have a long history okay episode 14 private charles lamb i love this episode december 31st 1974 new year's eve is when it aired when the 4077 is invited to share an easter meal with a greek unit radar saves the main course <laughs> directed by high high Averback. Man, he's got to stop directing these. <laughs> I don't know why. It sounds like a such a time. broken record. Why? Yeah, I don't know why I have a hard time saying his name. Can't we go back to Jackie Cooper? Shut up. <laughs> Dear Dad number five. Gary. It was Gary. Gary Cooper. <laughs> Dear Dad number five, question mark? Why did, I, why did I think that? Dear Dad, the wounded keep coming and coming. The latest batch were Greek soldiers. Greece is one of the 17 UN countries fighting here in Korea. Greeks, Siamese, Ethiopians, Turks, you name them, we got them. The common denominator is blood. It's all red. And there's an awful lot of it leaking out around here. Uh, Hawk mentions a wooden horse. Greeks used it to sneak into Troy and win the win the Trojan War. And Radar lives on a farm. He uh, Shouldn't he be just fine with killing animals for dinner? Because I'm sure if you're on a farm... You do that. <laughs> yep. I mean, cows. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. So let's see here. First and only appearances by Titos Vandis as Colonel Andropolis and Ted Eccles as Private Chapman. And first and only appearance of Private Charles Lamb. Yes. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, um, he got to go home and be Radar's little brother. Yes. <laughs> uh, no Margaret in this episode. Uh, let's see. What Radar else? gets home and he's like, "Where's, where's my, where's the lamb I sent over? Oh, he was delicious. Thank you for sending him over, honey. Yes, that's <laughs> Mom. Right. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's see. In Mulcahy's quarters, Frank says, "Father, dear father, come home with me now." This is a line from an 1860s temperance song, "Come Home, Father," about a negligent, drunken man whose behavior results in the death of his son. Oh my! Yeah. Lovely thing to put down. Right. And, okay, here, I thought this was funny. Um, Hawkeye, it was a little bit of a play on words. Um, Hawkeye says, the Greeks invented the edible complex. Yeah. 
Um, obviously, this is a pun on Oedipus, Oedipus complex, complex, a term which sprang from the Greek tragedy Oedipus Rex. So you said that Frank was in Father Mulcahy's tent. He was registering a, a written letter complaint to Father Mulcahy about what was going on. Is this is this the episode where somebody comes in and mistakes him? Yes, that's Brandon being? Chapman. Because he, he shot himself in the foot because he wanted to That's what it home. was. Shot himself in the foot. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Now, let's see. Ted Eccles, who played the young Private Chapman, the one who shot himself in the foot, was the voice of Aaron, the little drummer boy, as Teddy Eccles in the 1968 Rankin-Bass Christmas Story. Yay! Beverly Hillbillies fans will remember him also as the little Milby Drysdale in the classic episode, The Little Monster. Let's say which Christmas epi- which Christmas special it was? It was the 1968 Rankin-Bass Christmas Story. I didn't say which one. Like, um... Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or... The no, the, I'm sorry, the Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy. Oh, okay. Yeah. The yep. the Christmas Without Santa, I think, was another one they did. Yep. Uh, let's see. On Easter Sunday, 2023 MeTV aired this episode back-to-back with the episode, or with a later episode, That Darn Kid, presumably for the lamb-goat-centered storylines. Ah. And I have that Easter 1951 was on March 25th. And in 1952, it was on April 13th. So we kind of get a general idea of when <laughs> this episode's timeline is, mm-hmm. even though they play around with it a lot. Okay. So follow-up to what we mentioned a little bit ago about the animals not being native to Korea. I have some in research here. Radar is taking care of a skunk and a raccoon. He tells the skunk, if you were an American animal, you'd be many miles from here. About. Over in Burbank. Uh, all right. The skunk <laughs> is a Native American striped skunk. There are no skunks or raccoons in Korea. The closest thing to either of these animals is a stink badger found in Java. Stink badger. That's what it says. That sounds horrifying. A little bit. The badgers, I mean, they're... <laughs> you don't mess with those. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, no in- Margaret in this episode. Yep. Uh, when entering Father Mulcahy's tent and finding that Mulcahy is not there, Major Burns remarks to himself, good thing I don't need the last rites. <laughs> but Frank is not Catholic. In the episode Hot Lips and Empty Arms, Frank defends himself from Hawk- Hawkeye's query if Frank's neighborhood is still restricted by replying rather disgustedly that there's a Catholic right across the street. Therefore, as a non-Catholic, Frank would not require last rites. Hmm. I wonder what he is then. Baptist, maybe? He strikes me as sort of the Southern Baptist type. Southern Baptist? <laughs> Wait, isn't he in Indiana? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's in Indiana, but yeah, I, that's yeah, I don't I think Baptist, maybe, because well, I, th- I, mean, I think they have a thing against alcohol. <laughs> uh, that's all I had. I thought, oh, wait, no, wait. No, I had one no, I had one more episode, or one more thing here. Much of Private Charles Lamb surrounds radars aiding and abetting the escape of the Greek lamb from becoming a feast. However, in the Long John Flap, Released about 11 months earlier, Radar is bribed by the camp's cook with a leg of lamb. True. So True. it's like a little character little character error yeah, there, I and, think. And he grew up on a farm, so he's, yeah. you know, God, yeah. I thought this was an okay episode. I liked I liked the ending when they're all... Dancing and having a good time. They're all sloshed at the, like the very, very end. And then Frank fall, yeah, falls kind of over. Swaying side to side, <laughs> yeah. and then Frank falls over and... And, you know, and of course, they get to enjoy a nice feast after all the, the army food. And finally, you know, it's like here comes this bread basket and you got this big, you know, roll of bread or loaf of bread. And he's got this big jar of like various kinds of vegetables or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, and all that stuff there. It's like, I'm looking at this stuff. It's like, that stuff making me hungry. Right. So, and then the spam lamb. Yeah, the spam <laughs> lamb. That's right. 
It's a spam limb, Henry. I know, I know McLean Stevenson's, you know, Henry passes out, but he missed the lamb. It would have been funnier if he hit it, like, dead on. Like, I agree. <laughs> yep, I totally agree. That would have been funny. So, anyway. We're on to episode 15. <laughs> Bombed. <laughs> January 7th, 1975. We are into the 75 season. The 4077 is being bombed by the U.S. Oh, Radar no. tries to get the shelling diverted away from the camp. Frank finds a, wound, a wounded soldier that's uh, wired to explode. Margaret and Trap get stuck in the supply shed, and Henry and Father McKay get blown up in the latrine. Guess who directed this one? Gary Cooper. No. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Averback. Yet again, Mr. Averback. Okay. Lord. Uh, after the latrine is hit, they pull out Father McKay from the debris, and he's very delirious. Here he is! Here he is. You all right, Father? Come on, Father. Sis and I picked up these apples from under the tree. I remember I said... You can't make a pie out of crab apples. And she said, I learned how in the Girl Scouts. I'll be right. just a little dazed. She used brown sugar, and the crust was just so crispy and nice. Well, it was so good, we ate it all before dinner. Get him back to his tent. Let him rest. Mommy came into the kitchen and said, what the hell's going on in here? I remember, Mommy. You know, that was the first time I ever heard you swear. <laughs> I don't think Hunk should have just sent him to rest in his in his tent. It seems like he might have needed more attention than I agree. that. I totally agree. <laughs> so let's see. Who do we have here? First and only appearance by Louisa Moritz as Nurse Sanchez. No more boom boom? No more boom boom? No more boom boom. I can uh, assure you, you are not being bombed. Yes. I assure you, young man, you are not being bombed. <laughs> then he hangs the phone out the window and yeah. it, it gets destroyed yeah and then he's like he pulls it back in and it's like the, the thing it's like the top of the phone is yeah the earpiece is missing so let's see um according to research the voice on the radio identifies herself as soul city sue there really was a soul city sue who read out announcements for the north korean propaganda on radio during the korean war sue although her real name was anna wallace sue was an American who lived and worked in China and Korea and married a Korean before the Second World War. Yeah. Okay. We learn that Trapper's middle name is Xavier. Uh, Radar tells Klinger that if he ever gets out of the war, he's going to write a book about his Army experiences. Klinger asks if he could be in the book, and Radar says, yeah, yeah, on page one. MASH, the movie, 1970, and the series, 1972, were based on a book written by Dr. Richard Hornberger and inspired by his experience of serving as a, in a MASH in Korea. In the book, the character of Radar O'Reilly is introduced on page one. Well, of course. It's Radar. And in the movie, that's how the show opens. After you see the helicopters flying with the wounded and you hear the music, it's the first scene. They're standing there on the helipad, and that's the first two characters you see as Henry and Radar. Cool. Uh, I thought Frank was a bit of a jerk in this episode. Um, refuses to work on a North Korean. Dreads the thought of using the enlisted latrine and states that diffusing... The booby-trapped patient should be done by an enlisted oh, personnel. Yeah. God. Uh, yeah. I did. Frank was disgusting in this episode. Yeah, I really thought he was a, a bit more of a change in character yeah. for Frank. I mean, yeah, he's... he's Yes, he would leave, like, 
a, a more wounded Chinese person on the bus in triage and, and send in American ones first, but that was actually, you know, protocol in the army, but really being a doctor, you should be like, well, this guy's more wounded than this guy. Let's send him in. Yeah. But he, I, I never, I never thought he was as much of a jerk as he is in this episode, which if I remember correctly, is kind of a bit of a setup for the end of the episode. I'll have to look at my notes, but uh, yeah, the whole line about you know him not wanting to defuse the the booby trap soldier. There's a soldier that comes in that has yeah. a grenade and a wire yep. on his chest. Yep, yeah, <laughs> that should be done by an enlisted person. And was it is it Margaret that's like what? Oh, Frank, really? It's like yeah. <laughs> and then he defends it by something about well, we have to pay for our uniforms; they get theirs for free. Yeah, it's God, like, damn. Yeah, I thought he was a. Yeah, ni- nice Real way of uh, basically placing the value of human life to the cost of a, of a uniform. And I have on here differences between enlisted and officers because I was wondering about it. And it's like enlisted men are basically workers and the officers are basically management. Yeah. Yeah. To really, really layman's terms. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, you know, and it, that, that kind of really comes out when in season five. Uh, when Radar gets a fake promotion to second lieutenant, mm-hmm. you know, and says when um, you know he's in the OR with uh, Hot Lips, they're going over the supplies and things that are needed for you know this for the OR, and and she goes, okay, well I'll head over to supply and I'll get these supplies, and she goes negative, and he was like, what? Whatative? I think what was the line. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says, you are commissioned. You do not perform menial tasks. Get some enlisted man to go do this. Yeah. So, yeah. You were the queen bee. Make the workers work. That's right. <laughs> um, in the end credits, actress Louisa Moritz, who played Nurse Sanchez, is credited as Louisa Mortiz. Oh, well, they spelled it wrong. Oh, well. <laughs> Hawkeye, you know, when you mentioned that the soldier that comes in with the grenade strapped to him, well, mm. after they separate it from his body, he throws it out the OR window. Cuts the you window. Know, or whatever. Throws yeah. it out. Yeah, he throws it out there. But what I thought was interesting is how quickly he did that. It's like, did he not bother to look around to make sure nobody was near? Yeah, it's like, is he throwing it like out towards the swamp, or is he throwing it out towards the creek? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's another, like, did you just blow up your still? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so. you think if it's a, let's let's assume that the, the swamp side of it is the front. Right. You know, if he's throwing it out the front, you would think there'd be people out there doing stuff. Exactly. It's, like, Although, it's almost like he didn't. They are being bombed, so people shouldn't be out and about. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, let's see. My last note here. Henry and Father Mulcahy were using the latrine when it was shelled. However, when they were pulled out, they were still fully dressed. Not like, you know, <laughs> pants around their ankles or anything like that. You know what I mean? Well. You know. I put in parentheses. I said, thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> so. And this is not the... F- is this the first time that, that Henry gets blown up in the latrine? Or... I know it's more than once that it actually happens. It has to be because he's... There, yeah, because I remember he's quoted saying, boom. Boom. <laughs> no more boom, boom. No more boom, boom. Uh, I thought the acting <coughs> with uh, Loretta and uh, Wayne Rogers was good. Yes, I, I when they're stuck there. Yeah, when they're stuck in the supply, supply, supply yeah, tent or whatever. I thought she, she did really well. This day's been too much. Just can't take it anymore. <laughs> Come on, honey. Take it easy. It's all right. I'm so embarrassed. Why? <laughs> I outrank you. Easy, honey. Easy. 
Easy. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm so tough and hard and efficient. <laughs> and here I am crying like a baby. <laughs> you mind? No. It's the first hot water to hit my body in a year. <laughs> I just wish they hadn't, they, they hadn't like, curtailed it with, with uh, Trapper hitting on her, basically. Right. But, eh. Yeah, he was sort of a womanizer. Yeah. Um, the other thing I had a hard time believing in is that they couldn't get that door open. True. Although we never see... We never see if anything fell in front of it or anything. That's but true. yeah, it did seem like. I mean, there. Or, she, I mean, she's in a crow. Oh, she's in a crowbar. True. And I mean, the doors they're like what one plywood, you well, know, one one board, a couple boards, you know, sloppily probably nailed together, whatever. I mean, you're telling me a crowbar couldn't open yeah, that? Up? It's Come also on. a mobile unit. Yeah. To probably remove, especially with a crowbar, to remove one of the well, one of the walls, yeah. or at least detach it enough from the corner to slip out, probably would have been fairly easy. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, Hawk and Trap removed a whole wall in Henry's office. Yeah. In, in, <laughs> That's right. In the episode where they were stealing his, his desk. You know what, real quick, uh, on a side note, um, I recently, I know we always said we're never going to talk about the movie, but actually, I wa- went back and watched the MASH movie again. Mm-hmm. And there are scenes where is it is it as bad as you thought it was? It's I mean I I never disliked not, not the movie. bad. You said no. it was kind of jumbled. It well yeah it felt jumbled. It it's growing on me. I'll okay, put it that way. But you know we know that there were two locations for the series. You had Stage Nine and you had the ranch set. Mm-hmm. However, I wonder if some of the OR scenes that we see in the movie were actually inside the actual building that was at the ranch site. Oh, maybe. Because you never you never see the inside of the ranch set of the OR or post-op or any of that kind of stuff. That's always on stage nine. The only time you see the inside of the building at the ranch set is, like you just said, is when you know the, our heroes open the wall so they can get Henry's desk out. Yeah, yeah. Because when they're, and it's just little details that I notice, but it's like with the shape of the the inside of the, the building, it's like you see these metal, or metal, these wood thing planks coming up and all that stuff. And to me, it looked totally different than what we see in the series on hmm. stage nine. Maybe. So I wonder, not knowing exactly if they filmed exclusively at, you know, at Malibu the ranch yeah. and, you know, and other places that they had to go. Um, but I wondered if there was any soundstage use to do that movie for like any of the OR scenes or any of that kind of stuff. True. I mean, if you're doing a movie, yeah, if you had just the one location to shoot on, that would definitely save money. Yeah. And especially, you know, back then, um, Fox, mm-hmm. Fox, yeah. 20th century Fox, 20th century Fox mm-hmm. still owned yeah. whatever part of the park they yep. owned at the whole thing or, or their little bits and pieces of it. True. So yeah, I mean, if you could film it all just right there. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's take a look at that. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do a side episode where we actually watch the movie. Okay. Well, we probably should. I mean, it's, it seems like it would be True. a good thing to do. And but then anyway. maybe, maybe we can do a book review too. I got to read the book. <laughs> I just started. I'm trying to. I'm just started. I haven't even started reading the next book. I'm you know I'm working on with uh, Patrick Stewart's memoir. Well, so, there you, you are. Know. You're in between books. Ah, shut up. <laughs> Get the audio version of Patrick Stewart's book and listen to that no, while, no. while you read the Mash book. No. 
Nope. I don't Multitask. Do, Come on. Nope, I don't do. I do not do audiobooks. <laughs> I have nothing against audiobooks, but you oh, know, I work in the printing I, industry, so it's like oh, I, you know, okay. I buy, I buy hand, you know, hard copy books because I want to, I want to, you know, there we support go. my industry. So anyway, uh, when trap, when Trapper and um, Margaret are released from the supply tent, the supply shed, Trap, uh, they're released by uh, Hawkeye. Is there? Hello, hello, hello. Is there somebody behind him? Mm, I don't remember. Not sure. But, you know, uh, Trapp's, Trapper's mouth can be seen moving, but we can't hear what he says doing to an explosion sound effect. And I'm wondering why they kind of covered that up. Maybe if he said something. Good question. I don't know. So if anybody can read lips. <laughs> I'd have to watch it a few well, times. Well, so watch it and let me know what he said. Yeah. Um, they're being shelled. They're being bombed. Although they're assured that they're not, <laughs> yeah, uh, they're you being are not shelled. being shelled, young man. Yeah, and they're being and they're watching a movie. They're in the tent watching the movie while they're being bombed. I, I would that be a good idea? Uh, plus, if they're being bombed, wouldn't they want to be you know in, in a black blacked out situation, like all lights out? What's that called? Well, th- that's true. Um, it seemed like to me doesn't the majority of the episode of this episode take place during the day? Uh, and, well, that plus where is the blacked out? I have that as a note. Where's where's the completely blacked out tent? Isn't this in the middle of the day? <laughs> there we go. I just thought it was weird that they were watching a movie while they're being bombed. It's like, okay, I guess to take your mind off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got I got a good. I thought this was a good episode. Yes. I thought it had a quick ending though. Mm-hmm. There was no scene where they, we we got the shelling stopped. Like we right. got we got a hold of the people that are killing or, or bombing us, and you know, obviously nobody seems to have been injured. But come on, I mean, <laughs> it gotta be something. But right. yeah, a quick ending. But I thought it was still uh, a good episode. I thought definitely it had a lot of good you know scenes. a true to life aspect of war. You know, yeah, yeah, you're a hospital. Friendly fire, yeah. yeah you're a hospital, but yeah, you still run the risk of getting bombed. Yeah. Hopefully not by your own Because, I mean, to me, side. <laughs> if you think about it, a MASH or any kind of medical unit in a war mm-hmm. would, to me, be a priority target to the enemy. You think so? Well, I would think so. I mean, it would, it would at some point on the priority list, it would seem to me that you would want to take out a, any kind of a medical unit because they're the ones that are fixing up soldiers so they can go back to fight. I would. I mean, there, I mean, there are know, other, like, a, like a weapons depot. Yeah, you want to yeah. you want to take that out too. But, but I think, as as weird as it sounds, there are globally accepted rules of war. Sure. And I think one of them is you you don't bomb medical facilities because, I mean, we've seen in Mash that they don't just treat. You know, U.S. soldiers, they, they, right? They treat all, everybody, yeah. so you could be possibly blowing up your own, yeah, soldier. Um, Though the chances of that are probably less than true. treating one of your own. Yeah, but I, I, would, but, I, but, I, I but I get your point. Yeah, I totally. would think that that hopefully, <laughs> if you're going to have a war, at least have some rules, and hopefully somebody follows them. Yeah. But well. yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> episode sixteen, bulletin board, bulletin board. January 14th, 1975. Trap writes a letter to his daughters and the 4077 throws a picnic to benefit the orphanage. Henry gives a sex talk. (laughs) Directed by, yay, Alan Alda. Second episode. 
He directed. Larry Rebecca is taking a break. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time. He was exhausted. Uh, uh, let's see. I like this episode. I remember the orphanage. Um, yeah, this is probably in my notes somewhere. But uh, Margaret has a sister, a younger sister, who is a captain that is getting married. She asked, Frank's, she asked Frank for $240. So the first part is all of a sudden she has a sister. I don't think Margaret ever mentioned any family members other than her mother and father before this mm-hmm. going forward. Of course, the whole, the whole thing of whether or not her father is alive until, yeah, that's t- until nine. Yeah. Cause I think somebody mentioned on one of the, the mash forums that are on, they they mentioned the fact that, Oh, she mentions her, her father to Henry in, uh, is that the hot lips, open arms? Where that she, might've been it. Where she finds out her friend's getting married to somebody yeah. that she turned down. Yep. She says, Oh, you remind me of my dead father basically. Um, and then, you know, he's actually alive, but I started noticing that whenever she mentions her father, it's in kind of a past tense. Like my father was Mm -hmm. my father had, or this was my father's whatever. And now she has it. Um, but I don't remember her ever mentioning she has a, she has a sister. Is that ever mentioned again that you're aware of? Hmm. Not off the top of my head. Not off the top of my head. Um, She asked Frank for $240. This isn't a money amount, so of course I'm going to tell you that $240 in today's money would be $2,800. Frank states, didn't your father leave you you a bit of money, implying that he's dead? Again, a past tense. Didn't Mm -hmm. your father leave you a bit of money? Um, Implying that he died, as previously mentioned... Uh, by Margaret in Season 2, Episode 14. Hey, there it is in my notes. Hot Lips and Empty Arms. Uh, PA announcement mentions Clark Gable is divorcing Lady Sylvia Ashley. The divorce occurred on April 21st, 1952. Hmm. So there we go with another jump in time. Yeah. (laughs) From 51 to 52 and back again. Let's see here. I had down, this would be the first and only appearances by Shirley Temple and Bill Robinson. Via uh. <laughs> archival footage of her movie, The Littlest Rebel. The Littlest Rebel. That's where yeah. she's tap dancing with him. Let's see. Yeah, 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 Hawkeye jokingly tells Radar during the movie that Shirley Temple is 42 years old. <laughs> yeah. On the air date of the episode, she was 47 years old. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, during the time to depicted, you know, she would have only been in her early 20s and she would have been approximately 23 years old in 1951 because she was born around 1924, if I'm not mistaken. Child actress. Oh, wait a she became a con- right? congresswoman, I think. Sure, I'll take your word for that. I've okay. never, uh, to be honest with you, I've never done a lot of. Um, gotcha. Yeah, she actually passed away in 2014. Wow. Yeah. There she, you go. Yeah. So, but um, yep, she was born 1928. She had a long and happy career. She did. Uh, let's see. Um, surgeons using disposable latex gloves. These were not developed until 1964 by the Ansel Rubber Company. Hmm. So, what did they use? I don't know. Hmm. Good question. Maybe like a lambskin or something? Something. Hmm. Uh, let's see. 
rewashable? What would you? Do? It it's wouldn't be cloth or anything. Yeah, weird. Okay. Again, if anybody is out there listening and has any kind of uh, uh, knowledge on the subject about the kind of gloves, what they would have been made of during the Korean War, uh, let us know. Mashfiles four zero seven seven at gmail dot com. Uh, let's see. During the tug of war scene in the mud pit, Raider falls in the mud and says, "Who turned out the light?" But his mouth doesn't move. Oh. Or, at very, or at the very least, it doesn't match what he's saying. Right, right. Mudden it. I thought this was an okay episode. Um, Henry's melancholy, melancholy after he loses a patient, and the picnic cheering him up was. It was. I thought it was all right. Uh, I thought the bulletin board being used as a plot device was a little flimsy. You know, but yeah. Again, I thought it was an okay episode. Yeah. That was episode 16. Wow. Yep. Okay, that flew by. Yeah, yes. it sure did. All so right. anyway, that's all for part two of season three of MASH. Uh, we will the MASH con- files. Yay. We will conclude this file in our final episode of, of uh, season three, covering season three, I guess covering I Covering season say. three. Um, season, let's see, <laughs> we call that episode 3.3. 3. <laughs> Just episode three, oh part God. three. Yeah, it's like wow, you know, all these episodes and seasons and. <laughs> I, I, I put that part two in, or that that two point five for the for our special episode. Yeah, and it's just thrown you off. It's gonna be it's gonna be a play on words because next thing it's gonna be like okay, this is episode thirty three and a third, two and a half. No, Ugh. no, no. <laughs> Call Leslie Nielsen. Let's get his opinion. <laughs> all right, Mash Files. We, we should we should make up a name for our our fans because we have them. Mash filets? No, that's too close. Uh, mash filets? Uh, <laughs> they get filet of mash fan? Yeah, they get they get yeah. <laughs> they get cooked while listening to us because it's the only way they can get through is if they're high. We'll think if it <laughs> never. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for part two. Please come back for the third part, please. Part three will be wonderful. Look at look at these notes. Look at this. Look at this whole page of notes. I can't read your chicken scratch. I didn't say read it. I said look at it. Yeah, what? okay, I can see it. That's all one episode. Holy Fr- crap. Front and back. So there's lots to talk about on this next you did episode. All, that's all about the consultant? Yes, the consultant. Holy crap. Holy crap. Which I believe, if I'm correct, this is the introduction of Alan Alda's father. Yes, into, into Robert the, Alda. Into the show. Yep. So join us for that, okay? Thank you for tuning in to Mash Files, ep- uh, episode three, part two. Bye. Bye. <laughs>